0: welcome to the lead on podcast this is jeff orge the president of gateway seminary welcoming you once again to our ongoing discussion about practical issues related to ministry leadership you know on this podcast we talk about the daily work of what it means to be a pastor or a ministry executive a department leader or anyone really who's charged with the responsibility of giving guidance in a church or a christian organization so thank you for tuning in and thank you for being a loyal listener of the podcast hey here's another piece of podcast trivia for you Today is the 250th episode of the Lead On Podcast. And so I've been doing this for a while, and many of you have been listening from the beginning. And so if you like the podcast, uh, tell a friend, uh, send out the word, and help others to get this good information. Today I want to talk about an issue that is of practical concern to me and also very frustrating. I want to talk about ministry to sick people. Why is that frustrating to me? Because I hear more and more pastors make this kind of statement. Well, I don't visit hospitals anymore. And when they say that, they say it almost as a a point of pride that they've come to a place of ministerial superiority where uh, they don't have to be troubled with something as menial as making a hospital visit to a sick person. And sometimes when pastors say this to me, uh, they reference uh, mega church pastors or large church pastors who've uh, shuffled this responsibility off on some lesser staff person, and they want to copy these, uh, uh, you know, large church heroes, and so they think by doing the same thing, they're somehow fulfilling their ministerial responsibility. Well, there's a couple of real problems with that. The first one is they don't know what they're talking about when, it ref- when they reference that megachurch pastors or large church pastors don't visit the sick. I recently attended a memorial service that was in one of the five largest churches in California, a church that uh, would have easily more than 20,000 members. And in that memorial service, the family thanked the lead pastor, the senior pastor, the main guy, they thanked him for the ministry he had in the hospital to their dying family member. And I sat there thinking, I wish every young pastor and every young ministry leader could hear this testimony and understand that while this megachurch pastor, really one of the largest churches, uh, pastor of one of the largest churches in the nation, still makes hospital visits. Now, while he doesn't visit every sick person, he does model the importance of caring for sick people by making this kind of hospital visit to a person that was close to him on their leadership team. So I want to challenge you today to set aside this myth that the really effective, really cool, really busy ministry leaders don't visit the sick. Yes, they do. So one reason that this frustrates me is because of this myth that I hear talked about by younger pastors. Here's another reason it frustrates me is because failing to minister to the sick ignores what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, I was sick and you visited me. And he made this statement as an example of ministering to Jesus by caring for his people. So this calls to mind at least five reasons why ministry to sick people is so important. First of all, it demonstrates the compassion of Jesus. You cannot read the Gospels and not understand easily and clearly how much Jesus cared about sick people. He was always touching them, healing them, caring for them, going out of his way to meet up with them. Jesus had compassion for the sick. Second, we minister to sick people because it demonstrates ministry to Jesus. Jesus said, I was sick and you visited me. Meaning that when you minister to the sick, you're in some way ministering to me. And you're demonstrating your ministry to Jesus by how you care for one of his children. Third, ministry to sick people is important because it practices Christian fellowship. The Bible says we're supposed to support the weaker brother, to stand with people when they're uh, at their worst or when at their, at their weakest. And in those moments, we practice a form of Christian fellowship by surrounding, by supporting people in their weak moments. And then another reason ministry to sick people is so important is because it protects people while they're vulnerable. You know, when you're sick, you you can't do everything for yourself. And you need people to step up and do things for you and to take care of you. And it demonstrates this protection for the vulnerable that's so important as a part of Christian fellowship. And then finally, ministry to the sick is important because it connects with people on a deeper emotional level. You know, I've been sick. I've had cancer. I have some heart challenges. Uh, I have some kidney issues. And when I'm struggling with either cancer and its after effects in my life or some of the current difficulties that I have to deal with, frankly, it's emotionally wearing. creates a sense of vulnerability within me. Causes me to have a, a tenderness, a, an openness, a, a receptivity that I don't always otherwise have. And when people have reached out to me in those moments when I'm feeling those emotions, it really establishes a connection with me. And when I have provided ministry to sick people, it has done the very same thing. So, ministry to the sick, so very significant. No matter how large your church, how influential your ministry, how busy you think you are, if you are ignoring this ministry opportunity, you are making a foolish mistake as a ministry leader because ministry to the sick is so important for these different reasons that I've identified. Now, today on the podcast, I want to do more than just talk with you about this. I want to help you hear from someone who has both received ministry as a person who's ailing and also over his lifetime extended ministry to so many sick people. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. J.T. Reed. Dr. Reed has been a professor here at Gateway for a number of years, but before that, he was a significant pastoral leader in the state of California. He has served in so many different capacities on the board of trustees, for example, of California Baptist University, where he was even chairman of that board, and all other kinds of ministry leadership roles across our state. So in every way, he is a proven, experienced veteran ministry leader. And then, of course, his service at Gateway has been exemplary. But uh, some time ago, uh, Dr. Reed was... uh, received a pretty significant diagnosis of a really serious illness. And he's been living with that for us here in the seminary community now, I think for over a year. And I've asked him to talk with us about that today. So JT, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being on with me
1: today. Thank you, Dr. Orge.
0: The first thing I'd like for you to do is just describe your illness and uh, tell us uh, what it's been like and how long you've been dealing with it.
1: Uh, I've, been, I've been diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma, which is uh, shorthand for kidney cancer. Um, it's cancer that begins on the outside of your kidneys and then can hitch a ride and metastasize other parts of your body. Uh, I've been dealing with it for um, uh, 16 months now. My initial diagnosis, uh, I read up on it, and the statistics are it's a terminal illness. There is no uh, remission. It just... It can slow down but it's a terminal Um, uh, about 80 percent people um, die within the first three years of diagnosis only about eight percent make it to five years so uh, i've been dealing with it over a year and a half and uh, every ct scan i've had the last three times has shown that the uh, the can't there are no new tumors and the tumors are stable they're staying the same
0: man that's that's great news i I remember when you were first diagnosed, it came about because you had a growth that came out on your neck, and when you talk about this cancer metastasizing and going throughout your body, uh, that growth resulted uh, pretty soon thereafter in some very extensive surgery. Could you tell us about how you found that and then how the surgeries went?
1: Yeah, renal cell carcinoma, RCC, is usually found by accident. Uh, people having some other test being done, and it's spotted. And, and that was my case. I had a growth on my neck, a fast-growing, thought it was a wart. Uh, went to the uh, dermatologist. She removed it, and she said, these things are usually no problem, we'll let you know. And uh, it wasn't normal. It was kidney, kidney cells, and kidney cells don't grow in your neck unless there's some problem. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of it. And that tumor, uh, even though she removed it, it grew back to about the size of a small grape on the mm. side of my neck. But um, to great relief, the um, treatment I began to take uh, made that shrink. And uh, that was a good sign.
0: Yeah. You also had to have some pretty extensive surgery in your neck and uh, area to kind of relieve some of that tumor and to take away some of that pressure from the from what it was putting on your spinal cord. And I remember some yes. of those details, but not all of them.
1: Yes, Uh now we're not sure if this may be the result of a previous injury uh, or if the cancer caused this but there is a tumor on the in my neck and uh, my uh, one of the cervical um, uh, bones in my neck deteriorated and i couldn't even hold my head up Mm. and uh, uh, went in the doctor or emergency surgery and they fused four of my disc in my neck and put a spacer in there um and it was quite complicated because of the tumor in there and in fact the doctor said i I just don't want to do this because i'm afraid you're just going to bleed out on the table Uh, but we went ahead and god was gracious Uh, but as a result of that i can't i don't drive anymore i can't turn my neck very much and uh, there's always a constant pain in my neck in fact i have an uh, mri tonight uh, it's one year, it marks one year that, that that surgery took place. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, thanks for describing your illness and telling us how, uh, how it has affected you physically, but now let's shift our focus a little bit, and let me ask you to talk about how you responded emotionally and spiritually to the initial diagnosis. Take us back to that first uh, few weeks after you found out you had this uh, serious illness and were facing this major surgery. How did it hit you spiritually and emotionally? It was interesting that I received the phone call from the doctor while I was
1: preparing a funeral service for uh, one of my relatives I would so I was taking another deep dive into uh, grief and all of that Um, that's been one of the strong suits of my ministry over my ministry I've done over 300 funerals Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and one of my shaping philosophies is, whenever I would minister somebody with with sickness or an announcement like this, uh, it's a painful reminder that we all live in a world of sin, sickness, and death, and none of us are exempt. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how it hit me when I got the word is, okay, now I know. Um, that's very true. I'm not exempt. I wasn't angry. It was just It was just kind of a reality. This is what Okay, uh, that's going to change our lives. Things are going to change. Uh, I did have some emotional up and downs uh, initially. You know, I, I called a, a number of people. I called Jim Wilson, my boss, first thing, and then uh, about four or five days later called you and Dr. Martin. And Those were emotional announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of surprising that I didn't find myself bargaining. In fact, I kind of asked myself, why, why not? and uh, and i came to the conclusion even if god had said okay i'm gonna give you 10 more years i wouldn't do anything different i oh, i'm, I'm gonna, gonna write a book or i'm gonna go back in the pastor no i would simply continue my life uh, retire as planned and spend it with my family and live out the rest of my years as whatever god ministry god gives me so it was just kind of odd to me that i didn't fall into that
0: well i don't find it odd because i know you i, I found it inspiring you. you have responded to this illness with a level of spiritual depth and maturity that speaks of the relationship with God that you have and the practicing of your faith that has been so real over the years. I know it rocked you emotionally. I know it, it was uh, difficult news to receive. But I remember in our early conversation, you said, I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I do because this is what God has called me to do. This is what I feel is important. This is what I think makes a difference. I'm going to stay with it. But besides how it affected you, uh, without disclosing any uh, anything you know inappropriate about their response, how did this news hit your family and and how did you handle that aspect? Because you have a unique situation maybe our listeners don't know about. You actually live in a multi-generational home. You, have a large home that your whole family has different uh, pods and components in. So everyone lives independently, but you also live in a kind of a a communal setting. So you might tell a little bit about that if you want to, but mainly I'm interested in how that whole network of family responded to this illness that had come to you.
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah, we live in a four-generation home. Uh, My mother, 97 years old, lives with us, my wife and I, And then my daughter and her husband and four kids, the youngest three years old and the oldest 11. So uh, yeah, it's multi-generational,
0: but we're making it, making it work. It's interesting too, our listeners may not know this, in California they're actually building these homes called next-gen homes or multi-gen homes that actually have like separate living areas and even separate kitchens and you have one of those where, where you have this together but separate kind of family life together. It's fascinating, but anyway, you're, you're all together and the news comes that you have this serious illness. What happens next?
1: Well, our, our family did make some, of course my wife said, I want you to try therapy or whatever. So, okay, sure. Um, you know, that was an emotional times. We talked about that. Um, my family, my, I have four kids and they immediately said, you know, let's all get together and take a family picture of everything. We didn't know how soon things would happen. And so we all got together and had a family picture and, and, uh, we're, we're finding more, we've always had time to family together, but we're finding them more frequent now. Mm-hmm. Uh, In my extended family, I have an older brother, he's 10 years older than I, and by the time I was six and began to remember things, he was 16 and dating and out of the, you know, going. And so over the years, we've had this, you know, relationship, but now he's come to visit me more often. He calls me almost every week now, and uh, just—so that's kind of been enriching. Mm -hmm. Um, um, uh, But—so I would say our family times are more intentional
0: hmm and somewhat maybe even more intense yes. as you have that sense of, uh, of the challenge you're all facing and yeah. the need and the desire to want to maximize really every day that you have together. One of the things I decided mm-hmm. was
1: um, I wasn't going to wait until I die to give my stuff away or have someone else distribute my stuff, so I've begun to do that now, mm-hmm. you know, gifting people with different things have been meaningful to me and tell them why it's meaningful to me and give it to them.
0: That's fantastic. That is. And that leads me to the next question, and that is, you know, you made this initial response and your family's been making a response, but how has your personal response to your illness changed over the months? It sounds like one way is that you've come to understand and embrace the reality of it and you've been giving away items and expressing yourself in relationship to others, but have there been some other distinctive ways that you see that you've changed over the past few months in terms of how you're responding to your illness?
1: Well, I take a daily Uh, chemotherapy pill Mm -hmm. and it I described it it makes me uh, large lethargic and unmotivated Um, you know years ago my first uh, email address was readyread at aol.com read is ready Uh, but I find now I'm not so ready Mm -hmm. I'm just uh, I could spend I'm I've always been hyperactive but I can spend time just long time just sitting and not doing anything so that's affected a lot of things in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not up and at it. Um, um, and I, I came to the realization that I really needed to retire because I'm just not as, um, I don't think I'm doing the service to the seminary that I think I should. Right, And so uh, I've made the decision to retire. And so that was an emotional. Um, um, decision to make. Uh, But uh, the seminary has been very gracious and helpful to me to make that transition in that time.
0: You know, in that aspect of your adjustment, one of the things, again, that I've admired about you has been your maturity of commitment to the mission of God and to the mission of the seminary. You know, we've stood by you and, and worked hard at doing that, but you've made it easy because you've continually had such an accurate self- appraisal of where you are and what you can do what you can't do and uh, I think that that stands out really JT because a lot of people who find themselves struggling with illness uh, really have unrealistic expectations or really uh, don't make uh, uh, maybe their plans are driven more by denial than they are by reality and so you've been a model of making some much better decisions along the way and I, I affirm you for that. Now let's shift gears. We've talked about your personal response, but I want to now focus on what a lot of our listeners are thinking about, and that is how they can be better ministers to the sick. So my first question for you in that regard is, you know, as a pastor, you've already told us you cared for many hurting people, 300 funerals, and no doubt uh, 3,000 hospital visits leading up to those 300 funerals. But as a pastor, you cared for hurting people. So let me ask you this. Has it been hard as a caregiver to be cared for by others?
1: Uh, Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, initially, um, you know, I'm kind of a a diagnostic person, which is a nice way of saying I'm critical. Um, uh, People would contact me, hey, I'm going to be praying for you every day, and, you know, I often wonder, really? Um, But what was really meaningful is when people would actually pray with me. Mm. And, um Uh, Of course, I always respond in in praying right back to them. I kind of learned this in the—I did a—you know, I've done, like I said, thousands of hospital visits. And this only happened one time. It's after I prayed for a person. Um, This kind of nondescript member of my church uh, didn't teach, wasn't a deacon, you know, just—he would hand out bulletins occasionally. Um, After I prayed for him, he held on my hand and he prayed for me. That's the first time that it ever happened. It was very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so I have, uh, you know, when you stand in line and people walk by and shake your hand as a pastor, oh, I pray for you. And you just wonder, eh, okay, I hope so. But, you know, when you hear a member call your name out in prayer, it's just, oh, it's meaningful. And so the one thing that really ministered to me is people who would actually not just say they'd pray for me, but they actually did
0: mm-hmm. pray for me mm-hmm. and prayed with you. Yes. And Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Were there other positive ways that Christians have supported you? Besides praying for you, uh, what are some of the other things that uh, either fellow believers here at work or fellow church members or even fellow ministry leaders or family members, what have people done besides prayer that really made a positive difference for you?
1: The one thing that I noticed is the most meaningful to me was when people would not just you know ask me about my illness and how it's going they would say you know you they would talk about a shared experience we had uh, where I ministered to them or met a need that they had or we just shared a uh, you know an event together um, ministry or, or fellowship wise just it, it was just that I had been a meaningful part of their life mm-hmm. and that was very valuable mm-hmm. uh, I'll kind of jump to the flip side of that uh, I, you know, <laughs> uh, I would often have people send me cards with sappy stuff and uh, uh, scripture verses, or, or people would send me an email and have scripture verses, often, often lay people, I think, because they didn't know what to say, right. but, but it was like they thought I, this had put my faith in a tailspin. It was an existential, existential crisis for me, uh, which it was not, mm-hmm. um, but they really didn't know how, how to minister. But others who did, uh, like I said, they they talk about how we had, had these shared experiences, and th- that
0: was really meaningful. Mm-hmm. So praying for you and then sharing some specific meaningful experiences that you had shared together with them was another positive thing. Uh, you were kind of leading over into our next question about unhelpful things. One of the unhelpful things people did was, Uh, sent you something that might have seemed a little canned, you said sappy, I know what you mean, or also just sent you a a scripture verse maybe under the assumption that uh, you were somehow in a tailspin and needed needed to be rescued, that kind of thing. You know, those are not helpful things, but sometimes the Bible can be very helpful when we're going through difficult times. So how has it been more supportive to you besides just getting some random verse dropped on you? How's the Bible been more supportive for you during this time or been or how how is, how would you say that people could use the Bible in more constructive ways with others?
1: you know it's interesting. I have this cousin by marriage I went and visited her husband, who was my cousin uh in a terminal situation this is before I had this mm-hmm. and um, I went and ministered to them and Uh, Then after he died, uh, we'd see each other occasionally on Facebook, but once this cancer diagnosis came, which I made an announcement on Facebook, she has every day sent me a Bible verse. Hmm. And um, you know, the Scripture, uh, although the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day, when I was young I envisioned that, well, that means when I get old I'll still be vibrant on the inside, even though I may be slow on the outside. But now my experience is that's not what that means. It means God, is in his grace, will sustain us daily in what we need. And so uh, each day, every day, uh, there is someone who sends me a text, a card in the mail, uh, drops me a scripture verse, makes a private message to me, makes a phone call to me. Every day there's at least one of those little drops that just... It's kind of like god saying i forgot you Mm. and um uh, so you know i've kind of developed this tag you're it you're the one today that has really blessed me and didn't know it
0: yeah yeah i think that what you're talking about is a consistency of people providing input into your life is better than just that one drop that someone sends thinking that's going to solve your issue or solve your problem and i'm glad you had those people doing that for you so these are some things that you can do for someone who's sick pray for them have conversations with them in which they're able, you're able to share meaningful life experiences together. Use scripture with a person in a meaningful way and in a consistent way uh, that really does reinforce and strengthen a person over time. Well, let's talk now finally as we get toward the end about how this illness has changed your perspective on life and work and family and all kinds of things like that. So you've been dealing with it for 16 months. Uh, How has it changed your perspective on some of these key areas? And you can pick one or all, work, family, uh, faith, life, whatever you'd like to talk about.
1: Um, Faith-wise, I just want to say, and this is kind of the counsel that I gave to my um, cousin that I just referred to, is you know, um, this is not the time to shrink back. This, we know the enemy, the final enemy is death. Mm-hmm. and uh, we have not sung about the resurrection and uh, uh, <laughs> all the years to give up now, so to speak. Right. This is just when—this is the battle lines. We're on the front lines now. I'm on the front line right now uh, looking at death daily, face-to-face, and uh, my hope in the resurrection just continues to b- remain strong. And uh, even, <laughs> even if I'm wrong, I've had a great life. Wow. Uh, even if I'm wrong, I have helped people and been encouragement to people. And if I'm wrong, I won't know it. Right. Because it's just done.
0: Yeah. But, but if you're right. I'm not. But, but I'm if, not. But if you're right. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. If we're right about the resurrection, then man, it just changes everything. Uh, has your, has your, uh, I know you've continued on with your work here at Gateway and you've done, you know, as much as you can do and you've stayed engaged in many meaningful ways. Um, had you, has your illness changed your perspective, though, on your work or on what you see as important in your work or what aspects of your work were most meaningful to you?
1: Uh, I, I would say I don't think so. Um, uh, well, as I'm teaching, uh, whenever we um, – it's interesting that students will ask me about my health, and I'll spend a few moments talking about that. And it, um, it it's – you can tell it touches them mm-hmm. in a different way. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain that, but it it does have impact when you are able to talk about uh, death in the sense that you're really facing it and talk about the faith and the hope and the resurrection, and I think that gives them encouragement. Um, I don't know if it uh, is affecting me uh, differently than anything else.
0: Um, well, let's talk about what you just said, though, and that is... This modeling of what it means to yourself demonstrate the vulnerability of going through an illness like this in public, so to speak, where you're dealing with it in front of people. And a lot of our listeners are either pastors, ministry leaders, professors, people who work in front of people all the time. And sometimes when you face a serious illness like this, you think, well, I just want to be private about this, or I don't want anybody to really know about it, or I want to do it in a way that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, share too much detail. And one of the things I have really appreciated about you is you don't uh, wear a sign that says I'm sick. You, you come to work, nobody would know unless somebody asked you. Uh, uh, you're more than willing to talk about it, but it's not the centerpiece of every conversation. You, you have a- other things that are on your mind as well. But you've done a very good job of modeling, though, a transparency about your illness that really has been inspiring to others and really has been frank and open and, and willing to dialogue and share about what you've been going through. So I just want to affirm that in you, and I want to say to all you listeners that when you yourself find uh, that you're the sick person, especially as a leader, yes, you have to be measured and that you don't want to be narcissistic and share all these details that make it all about you, but at the same time, you have this wonderful teaching moment to say, I'm going through this. And so in the context of living through this, I'm facing all the same kinds of issues that you also face when you're dealing with illness and here's how I'm going through it, and here's how I'm grappling with it, and here's what I'm learning from it, and here's how I'm growing by it. And hopefully, here's what I'm modeling for you about how to deal with something like this when it happens to you. So JT, I really affirm the fact that you have modeled so well for us how to learn and grow and, and, and really prosper um, in your inner man, as you said, uh, during this difficult time. Well, I'll let you have the uh, last, uh, the last answer to the last question, and that is, is there anything else that we really haven't talked about today that you've learned from your illness or that you've experienced through your illness or that you'd just like to say to people who are out there ministering to sick people that would help us today to do a better job with this? You have the last word.
1: Well, my first thing is um, uh, I learned pretty early in my ministry, uh, if we're going to bear one another's burdens, we have to share one another's burdens, and so that's why I've been kind of open about it. Um, there was a flurry of, um, you know, phone calls and cards and all that at the beginning, uh, but that has really tapered off. And I expected that. And but there have been a few that have been really faithful about uh, being in contact with me. Uh, even as you talked about at the beginning of your, uh, uh, of of this, I I'm a part of a um, mega church, and my pastor is very busy, but about every three months he'll just drop me a text, "How you doing?" And uh, that's always, you know, tag, he's it today. Gave me that uh, blessing. Um, My final word is, you know, looking back on ministry, I wish I had been more systematic in uh, just doing that kind of thing for terminal people. It's easy for them at the beginning to be a flurry of activity, and then it kind of, you forget Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, now with smartphones and all that, it's easy to set a monthly or, or whatever, remind you to yourself, just drop them a line, give them a call, send them a card, a handwritten card or something. Uh, just uh, just uh, let acknowledge
0: to them that you know. Yeah, that you know that's still going on. Man, JT, thank you for being my guest today on the podcast. Thank you for being on the 250th edition of the Lead On Podcast. And thank you for talking to us about what it's like to minister to sick people and what it's like to receive ministry as a sick person. And thank you for inspiring us today also with your story. Listen, you're out there. You're trying to get the work done this week. You're going to run across people who are physically hurting. Take time to reach out to them in the name of Jesus. Do it as part of your responsibility as you lead on.